I want to thank all of our listeners for several years of dedicated and loyal listening throughout the Halo Talks 400 podcast completed to date. We're going to 1,000 by 2024. If you're so inclined, we'd love to have you go to iTunes for us, fill out a review so we can keep this podcast rolling globally. We are now on Chartable's top lists and moving up the charts. Also, if you want to educate yourself in the new year, please go to thehaloacademy.com. Take a look at what we've done with 150 executives in the Halo sector to get them smarter, get them prepared for capital raises, and also more winning. Thanks. Have a great season. Let's go. This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks NYC. I have the pleasure of bringing in a established star in the retail health and wellness now called the Halo sector. Going to tell us what the future of retail looks like, how you should think about what is going to happen on the bricks and mortar side, as well as on the digital. Uh, Francine Miley coming in from a trip to Joshua Tree, one of the most beautiful places on earth. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Great to see you today. So, you know, you started out at, uh, you know, Westfield kind of creating what the vision is for you know, the Halo future and what brand should be a part of that and, and what that traffic would potentially bring uh, to landlords. And, you know, I think you were kind of on the front end of what was going to happen and probably an evangelist knocking your head against the wall for a period of time. So talk about what you've kind of learned from that, what thesis you had, and then talk about what you're doing now with Wealth Manager and how you could help others. Happy to. Uh my experience really has been in the REIT world most of my career with uh, marketing, brand development, um, strategy. And the ironic thing about how this role came to be with Westfield is I'm also into the Eastern um, in that I'm a Reiki master. And so our CEO at the time uh, thought that was a pretty funny uh, way to go about wellness, but also thought that I had the pulse on looking at it holistically versus just looking at studio concepts and wellness really bringing it all together. So as you said, uh, sitting here, Joshua Tree, uh, a bit of a pioneer in bringing some of the wellness to the consumer uh, through Westfield, which was very exciting. So going out to, you know, seeing the local yoga to the big brands and seeing what would make sense in the mall, because not only per mall, but also what market it made sense to bring some of these to. It was very exciting to see it start to unfold in bringing this. I mean, obviously, back in the day in the malls, you had the big box gyms, and then the malls veered from that. And now it, it was a new combination of how do you look at bringing this as an offering and bringing a new retail mix to the malls, um, new traffic, new daily consumption. But also what we saw, halo effect, was the incredible halo effect of bringing in fitness, wellness, and medical all within the mall. And so it was really compelling uh, for us as we ventured down this way um, and bringing it all together. And so that has then formalized something further for me, uh, leaving behind the malls uh, during the pandemic and starting Wealth Manager. And so that is my own consulting and working with brands to bring them to more consumer-facing retail opportunities. So, so if I was a operator, I just raised a big growth equity round. I'm going to try and figure out where I'm going to put my next 20 locations. You know, you would be kind of a, 
an advisor to say, look, I can introduce you to these REITs where they might have a big portfolio that we can put you into. So it's not necessarily, you know, every deal is a one-off deal. Um, two, I can maybe help you look at your unit economics to figure out, are you going to be successful in these locations, given the rent that you have to pay? And then are you also helping on the negotiation of the lease agreements? It's a little bit of everything. Yes. I think my hybrid role of both marketing and working in leasing has led it to that. Um, you know, interestingly enough, during Westfield, the VC uh, crowd was starting to really start to follow what I was getting into. And I was speaking at Roth Capital and getting really involved in that side as well, because they wanted to see what the pulse was and what the trends were starting to bring um, in bringing health and wellness into that more consumer facing. Now, I think we could probably all agree that during the pandemic, things got a little wild, wild west and uh, just kind of sure. all over the place. So I think it's really important, especially now um, as the consumer, as the general public is looking to take wellness into their own hands, giving them that opportunity, whether it's in a mall or in you know retail, that is daily needs um, so that it's front facing, allowing people to uh, more easily access these uh, offerings. Yeah. So a couple of things that, that I've always thought, you know, was a no brainer from, from a mall or from an operating standpoint, one, they're typically kind of the epicenter of, of a community Two, there's a ton of parking. So you never have to worry about parking at the mall. Even if you have to park far away, there's always a parking spot. Three is you've got all these big boxes and I'm not really sure if they, unless they want to, you know, chop it up. It, there's not many other businesses that require or can accommodate the type of space as a, you know, health club operator in there. And then also, you know, the ancillary flow of traffic to, to other, you know, retailers that are in the mall or service providers when you've got a thousand workouts a day, um, that's a thousand people that would not be going to the mall. Right. Uh, so what are, what are some of the, before we talk about some of, but maybe say a couple of success stories and then maybe a couple of you know, learnings or failures? Sure. So uh, interestingly enough, at Century City in particular with Westfield, we brought in Kind Body, which is women's fertility and women's health. Uh, couldn't think of a better fit within a mall, especially since typically the shopper is female-centric. Um, that was a new and exciting one for me to work on um, because I thought that was very compelling and a perfect fit in the mall. Sometimes the fitness does not necessarily translate. Uh, a bo big box gym or you know an Equinox, something like that, that can certainly uh, be successful. But I think it really has to be supported by both the landlord as well as the tenant and how it's marketed, how it's eventing, um, how you're driving that traffic and keeping that consistent. And for me, it was really about bringing the connection together. And that goes back to my brand experience, is linking these brands together so that they created that events synergy um, you know, that network between them and thus the halo effect that came from that. That is the key part. And that was, uh, you know, what I was doing with Westfield even before health and wellness. I was head of retail relations, really diving into all the brands as to how to specifically ensure their success in the mall. You know, you can just open on the street and go get it and, you know, have your own marketing and approach it your own way. But if you're going into a mall environment in particular, you want to make sure you have that support to ensure that success is being driven there. Yeah, Jersey Strong, um, one of our clients and, and long-term friends of the Roma family, they went into a Menlo Park. Uh, they took basement space, which, you know, not probably nobody else can really do. 
they put kiosks up, you know, and basically did guerrilla marketing, you know, inside the mall as well. Um, Export did a great job in Roosevelt Field of uh, taking over about probably 60,000 square feet, half, mostly basement actually. So, you know, is there a, um, what's the delineation between being in the mall and having kind of like a, a, you know, ground floor versus different levels of the mall versus, you know, what, you know, basement space used to be not as valuable, but now I feel like the landlord's like, Hey, they're running their business. They have their unit economics. They can pay the same amount. All you do is take a little escalator stairs or elevator down. So how, how do you think about that? If I'm an operator, I'm going into a mall, I'm taking over space. Probably the only other person that could take over space is another health club operator. Um, how do you think about that? Well, certainly for fitness, it makes sense for them because they're typically blocking out light and windows anyway. And a lot of the brands that I work with would prefer subterranean, uh, but that is key in negotiating with the landlords, right? Because the landlords just- So that's to- a reason to hire you. Don't give me the answer right now. Just like te- te- tease it out there. I I, I know what it's, what it's worth, but and it will cut to your email address. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, okay. No, but I think, you know, that's kind of one of the ways that this came about with my role is like starting to understand these big boxes that have- for so long struggled is what do we do with that? How do we repurpose right. it? Is it entertainment? Is it fitness? So I think it's just a making sure that the space makes sense for you and the economics obviously do as well. Um, you know, I think the malls probably got in a bad way because they did these, you know, large deals and multi deals that you had to do across multiple markets that maybe didn't necessarily make sense. And I think it's about being very strategic and mindful how we fill space from here forward, whether it's a mall or street retail. This is why we're in this situation post-pandemic, I feel, is that we need to be very mindful of how things are built and making sure that we're building communities, building offerings that appeal to that specific market clientele. So let me ask you two questions, or maybe one question, two parts. Okay. Um, why don't movie theaters have fitness from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m.? Because there's there's vacant. They can take the seats and roll them out and put in spin bikes. You've got the most badass sound system. <laughs> you've got a big screen, and you've got a lot of parking. Why aren't Why aren't companies optimizing the time that they're not open and thinking about it? Would that work? And the, the other part of the, the, the second question is your your thoughts on commingling all these brands, let's say in an old movie theater where you've got, you know, 12 screens. So I could do knock down a wall and I could have six different health, uh, has six boutique fitness concepts on side of that roof. So the first part is movie theaters optimizing the rent that they already pay with new concepts in off hours. Is that viable or is it like you can't really do that because people think that's the movie theater. So first and foremost, are we starting a business together in this movie theater concept? I mean, I think it's I, the best workouts I've ever had have been in like ex movie theater that are health clubs because the ambient sound, the the mezzanine, you know, it's it's an awesome experience, and a lot of them are landmarked buildings. Absolutely. So you get the feel of like this, you know, this uh, you know authenticity to it. It's set up for you know a perfect environment, no doubt. Um, I think. Also, as part of the evolution of what retail offerings are going to be is that flex space. So that's how I envision that. Um, It's about branding and making it work. Uh, But I think there is something there, certainly. Um, I mean, we even saw it during the pandemic with the pop-ups of brands that were hosting, whether it was SoulCycle or Berries hosting on 
They did it Century City, you know, in parks and things like that. So I think, you know, being creative about real estate is really where we should all be focused in maximizing the space, um, creating that community. It's about bringing energy back. And I think with the Halo brands, that's what it should be doing, right? Is creating that. I wish, like when you go to a game and they have like um, rotating ads or like the, on the side of like a basketball court, I always felt like it could be like AMC theaters at night and it could be like AMC fitness, <laughs> you know, in the morning or something like that. It could do like one of those like flippers. Um, but I really think that, you know, groups that are paying full rent and are not open 12 to 18 hours a day, I'm not really sure long-term how you compete with that. You know, I'm a soul cycle fanatic, um, you know, and running like five or six classes a day, or in some cases, and this is probably some of its COVID overhang, but, you know, running two classes a day in Manhattan beach at the point, I don't know how the unit economics work from like a fixed versus fixed cost versus variable revenue, you know, by staying open. Mm-hmm. So are you seeing that as, Hey, I can either help you figure out what to do with that. Maybe you should get less space. Maybe you should think about what to do on the off hours, expand like what you stand for or what you're, what you're an authority on. I think that's going to be part of the issues. Like the numbers just don't work if you're not going to run X amount of classes per day or if you're on, unless you're on a membership model. As much as I said that the creativity should come from the landlords, it absolutely has to come from the brands as well as how to maximize. And, um, you know, this is, me moving on from Westfield as well and doing what I am with Wealth Manager is really starting to speak with these brands about that. And what is the appetite for a creative partnership that allows for space usage? I am working with a group out in New York that, um, you know, they have like a stretch concept, but they also are bringing in some other services and modalities that further enhances their business as well as the traffic flow. So I think people are really starting to look at how to diversify their model, how to create um, strategic partnerships that benefit both businesses. Got it. And then uh, I got another question coming, but on co-mingling brands or putting them all under one roof, there's a couple of groups out there that are, that are testing out this concept. I know there's one called Drop Fitness yes. uh, in New Jersey. Um, do you see that if it's presented properly or is it kind of like um, a food court if you will. And then, you know, there might be competing, you know, sales um, initiatives that says, hey, these people are coming in 9 a.m. I got a class at 9 a.m. Our class have filled. Best way to get those people is poach them from the other group. Yeah. Without giving too much of the secret sauce away, I am working on a project currently um, that is looking at that model and seeing how to best bring the, the the partnerships and the offerings so that there's no cannibalization, but rather just complementary, so that you can go from one class to a service, et cetera, and fit all of your health and wellness or halo needs all in one stop. Yeah. You know, it's interesting in the restaurant industry, I only know this because we had a we invested in a restaurant concept, but you know, Aramark, as an example, uh, they have all the franchised uh, rights to a specific airport. So they're in charge so that they're not worried about, you know, you go into shake and steak or, you know, the Arby's or the Burger King, because they control that APOD, which is an alternative point of distribution inside of someone else's exclusive territory, Mm -hmm. if you're an operator. So that's one of the ways that they get around 
this issue of like, I got multiple franchisees that I'm having a relationship with. They basically just give the master, the Aramark, the staff, everything. And then to pay the royalties back to the brands. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if that's something that could happen in the fitness industry. I'm assuming, you know, that, you know, business models work in, in, in different areas. So, you know, to get your take on that, would, do you think that is where it evolved to, or you think we could kind of have all these groups kind of play nice in a sandbox? And if there's enough demand, everyone's happy. If it's not, we got a problem. Yeah, I think it is a hybrid model. And I think it really is, especially coming out of what we've come out of. I think everybody is trying to be strategic and maximizing their revenue and minimizing space as well as their actual output. Um, so I think it really has to be looked at that way. But I think, you know, there are compromises that maybe either the landlord or the tenant isn't quite used to. So I think it's just about looking at it very openly about how to best address this um, to ensure everybody wins. I think um, people are tired of just one winning, right? So it's like, if you're the landlord and tenant, you should have a solid understanding of working together of what works. Because obviously, if the brand isn't thriving, the landlord isn't. And so right. uh, that's about finding that proper balance to ensure that everybody's in a good place. And I know it sounds like peace, love and harmony. But I think at this point in business, this is where we have to get of understanding how to best maximize everybody's potential. Yeah. So my, so my last question um, is going to be on a clause in a lease agreement that is around exclusivity. So if I'm a health club operator, I go into a strip center, I get, or I fight for an exclusivity clause that basically says I am the only provider of health and fitness services. Um, and I don't want anyone, any other tenant here, um, that's in my space as we've kind of evolved and, and kind of bifurcated some of these, okay, workout recovery. That's how workout, uh, med spa, you know, that's not, they're not working out. There's no equipment in there, you know, self-care or, you know, nail salons. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's not what we're doing. Ballet bar. That's, you know, we don't have bar, but we have something else. So how has this kind of created a lot of issues? Do you see some of these exclusivity clauses being like, look, everything's halo now. So I'm not giving you an exclusive because I'm not going to limit myself as a landlord or the REIT for you to say, look, I have a sauna in my health club. So you can't have an infrared sauna concept, you know, that's going to generate a hundred grand a month. It's going to pay their bills. So how do you think about the term exclusivity from now going forward? You know, that always was a, kind of a pain point for me in the REITs um, because I don't think it was really followed as well as it should be for the benefits of either businesses. In the world of wellness and everybody's in it, it is becoming very almost diluted with, you know, a wellness group might have cryo, but then so does fitness or, you know, a lot of these different additions that are um, in these businesses make it a bit that they're tripping over one another. Um, so I think you have to be very mm -hmm. cautious about how you handle that. However, I think instead of filling space, which has always kind of been a rub for me, it is truly about curation. And you know, that word is overutilized, but it really is it. In my mind, if you're curating a community and bringing different services, classes, modalities, you need to be weighing that out. Um, and ensuring that you're giving that whole holistic approach, right? Um, but again, mm -hmm. someone in a med spa or someone in a wellness offering might offer cryo and infrared. So how do you do that? And this, again, is where I think you have to ask 
these brands to be a little bit flexible in their model, especially for the community that I'm building currently. Um, you know, if both have cryo, one of them probably should go without to ensure they're able to thrive. And so I think it's about being flexible in the offerings, but also it really does come down to how you're building the community and who you're bringing in. Um, I find that fitness, wellness, medical plays a little nicer than traditional retail brands. Um, so there's not as much of that exclusive uh, formality. Um, and I think, you know, everybody just knows who they partner really well with in this space as well. Awesome. Well, look, we'll um, we'll continue this conversation. Maybe we'll do a breaking news on some of the uh, new accounts that you land and some of the new projects, so we can give people a even a broader case study from what you've uh, what you've teased out into us uh, about where the future is going. Great. I look forward to seeing you in person after you get back from your trip, and I'm back in California. Um, any uh, just as a closing, you got any uh, uh, special quotes that you use or? You know, somebody comes in and they're saying like, hey, I want to do X, Y, Z. And you're like, you know, let me just help you start from the beginning here and, you know, lay lay out the landscape. I don't, but I will work on that for you. I can't give all the secret okay. sauce away today, Pete. All right, good. <laughs> all right. So we'll get a we'll get a quote from you and we'll put it uh, we'll put it as a tagline to this. So have a great uh, time in Joshua Tree. Thanks for getting on with us uh, during the holiday and uh, we'll see you soon. Okay, bye.